Lord gave me a while back that I feel like that we need to be reminded of, of his love in these times that we're in now. Lord, we love you, God. And what can we say to these wonderful things God before us who can stand against us? And he did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for us all. And will he not give us all And what can separate us from this love? Yeah. 
from your love, Lord. And no matter what's going on around us, Lord, we declare it that in spite of all these things, that we have overwhelming victory in the love of God. We have overwhelming victory. For God so loved the world, you sent Jesus. You are overwhelming victory, Jesus. We are overcomers. We are conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Declare it over your people this morning, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We believe your word. We believe your truth. Big 
Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just sing that chorus one more time. Neither life nor death nor the powers that be can separate us from the love of God. Neither high nor depths nor created thing can separate us from the But anyway, a few weeks ago, or maybe, a, I don't know, when was it, Shirley? Three? We came back from Washington, D.C. Earl and Kathleen invite us, invited us to the, they had a gathering at the Israeli embassy. Anyway, and we, on the way there, we, we listened to True News. And I've been listening to Rick Wiles lately. And, uh, and so we heard part one on the way and then part two on the way back. And she was sharing things that I knew she had heard from heaven. And my spirit began to just jump out, and I bore witness. She's a friend, and her husband. I'll let her introduce your family. But uh, I knew that she, we were to bring her here, and then I thought, well, what if she lives in who knows where? She lives in Charlotte. <laughs> That's not a problem. That's an hour and a half. Man, we can do that. And, uh, but I wanted her to come and share what God had shown her for the times so that we will be what Jesus said. When these things come to pass, we will not be made to stumble. But we will stand in this, in this hour. Yes. So um, I think I've shared everything as far as introduction. Uh, Mina Grieben and her family. Did I say it right? Y'all welcome her, and she's going to come and just share. <laughs> and you take your time, okay? We're not in a hurry around here. <laughs> Lord Saints, how's everyone doing today? Great. I'm so blessed to be here. Um, I just want to give honor, first and foremost, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, who has brought me out of the darkness into the light and allowed me to be a voice in this final hour. And to my husband, Isaac Grevin, head of my household. And I want to thank Pastor David and his lovely wife, Shirley, for inviting me here to speak at this church today. Um, it's very interesting. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, we totally did not plan that. It just kind of happened that way. Um, very significant day. Um, and most people don't know, and maybe you all probably know, that um, a lot of things people think that Pentecost was celebrated um, from the time of the fire baptism of the disciples until now, so basically the last two millennia. But actually, um, Pentecost is a Jewish holiday, and it is called Shavuot, for those of you who do not know. And it, mean, it is Hebrew, meaning weeks. And um, it is specifically a time, seven weeks after Passover, where it's, uh, two things occur. During that seven weeks, um, from the time of what we consider Resurrection Sunday, we don't I don't personally use the word Easter, um, until Shabbat is the first fruits, the, the harvesting of the, um, the, the barley and what have you. And, um, but also Shabbat is 
the day that um, the Torah was given to Moses, and Torah is the first five books of the Bible. It's nothing different from our scriptures. Some people believe that. And so um, it's actually been celebrated uh, for 3,000 years and not 2,000 years. And so um, the key thing is that um, Christ fulfilled all the spring feasts and his birth and life and death and resurrection and even all the way up until the day of Pentecost. Very significant because the Bible tells us that the latter will be greater than the former. And we are on the brink of a massive revival here in this country. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. So I just want to open up in prayer. That's all right. So I always do that. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you, the gathering of the saints, Lord. Lord, you said in your word where two or more come together in your name that there you would be in the midst, Lord. We, Father, we ask that you meet us here tonight, that you allow your presence and your spirit to reign and rest upon each and every individual. And Lord, I ask that Every word that is spoken today, Lord, that it, the people do not hear me, that it be not I speaking, Lord, but that it be your Holy Spirit speaking through me. Not, let, not my will, nor my way, nor my understanding, Lord, but let your will be done in the midst. Let your truth go forth in your truth only. Let me decrease, Father, so that your Holy Spirit and your word and your truth will increase. Lord, we take authority over all spirits, all unclean spirits, every hindering spirit. We bind up the devil. We bind up every spirit of confusion and mind control, anything that would prevent the word from going forth. We bind it up and take authority over it in the mighty name of Jesus, for it is written that whatsoever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We bind everything that is not of truth, that is not of love, and that is not of light, casting it to the abyss. And in this stead, we speak wisdom, knowledge, and understanding over each and every individual today that is given to us through the Holy Spirit who is a truth bearer, our advocate, our teacher, and our intercessor. Lord, I ask that you open the eyes and the ears and the hearts of everyone here today to receive what it is you would have for them, that we would get the revelation knowledge for us. And Lord, I ask that it be a seed that is planted only on the fertile soil of every heart. Let it not fall astray, let not the devourer come in and rob us of it, and do not allow it to fall among thorns or thistles, nor on rocky soil, but only on the fertile soil, that it will penetrate our hearts, take root, spring forth, and bear a hundredfold in its rightful season. Father, we thank you and we praise you for all that you have done and for all that you are going to do today. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen and amen. All right, Saints, so give you a little bit of history, my background. Um, so I'm born and raised in Chicago. Some of you know that, some of you don't. I was raised in the uh, south side of Chicago, an area specifically called High Park. And at the time, uh, High Park was a, a very well-kept, well-to-do area, um, you know, University of Chicago, and it was a prominent Jewish area. My background, though you see the color of my skin, my mother is half Jewish. My grandmother and my great-grandparents on my mother's side are Jews, full-blooded, tribe of Levi. And, um, and I grew up in a household with a lot of Jewish slogans, a lot of Jewish talk, and I thought everybody spoke it. 
I didn't realize until my adult years that everybody doesn't know the mean scapegoat. We used to hear that in my mom's house all the time when we would try to justify our wrongdoing. And she would say, oh, you're just trying to scapegoat off for somebody. We grew up with words like scapegoat, consumed height, and all of these different things that I thought everybody spoke. And I had no understanding that I was different. Went to all-black school, taught your black race, your, you know, all of those good things, and didn't really understand my background until actually I was about 17 or 18 years old. So, um, the interesting thing about my life, I give you a brief history, I did not come into this world in the most uh, kosher way. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, um, I told people I was a, um, born to a single mother. My mother and my biological father never got married. And um, my mother had just not too long gotten saved before I was born. And she was heavy into the scriptures. And so the story goes that um, she read something just before I was born about how the firstborns, the child that opens the womb, is given back to the Lord. And so on the day that I was born, my mother was alone with my great aunt, who is no longer here, and she labored three days with me. And so the story goes that the day that I was born, my mother would not allow the doctors to cut the umbilical cord. She had them to put me in her arms, and my mother lifted me up in the air and dedicated my life to, to back to the Lord. And the story is, is that everybody in the birthing room, including the doctors, were crying. So that would mark my life for the rest of my life. That doesn't mean that my life was peaches and cream. But I was raised in a very strict household, and my mother remarried when I was three years old um, to a pastor, and my parents had their own church that started in 1986 in Chicago. And um, it was around the time the age I was about six years old that I started having dreams and visions. The first time I saw Jesus, I was six years old. He came to me, and um, he was the one who actually told me about my prophetic gift. I didn't know what it meant. I just remember him telling me about it. And for a solid year, the Lord... Um, began showing me things to come. In fact, the first time I saw the rapture slash tribulation was when I was seven. And I didn't understand all of these things at that time, and at the time, it really scared me. And actually, really, I heard in church and Bible study, Jesus is coming back, and it was so real to me that I never thought we would see the 90s. I never thought I would go to high school. I never thought I'd graduate, I'd let alone get married and have my own children who are now teenagers. I always, when people used to say, oh, well, that'll happen in 1992. I was like, oh, no, Jesus will be back by then. Jesus will be back by then because of what he was showing me. Um, but it was after about a solid year that a woman who was, and she's actually a well-known prophetess today, she mentored my mother, like feeding her, almost spoon-feeding her. The Lord revealed to her what I had been seeing for an entire year. And I still remember that night. It was a Wednesday night Bible study. She was at our house. And she stood up in front of everybody, and she began to tell my mother what I had been seeing for the last year. I had not spoken anything. 
She, and she talked about how I saw angels and demons, and, and I did. I saw angels. I would wake up sometimes in the middle of the night, and I would see seven, eight-foot-tall angels standing at the foot of my bed just guarding me. They wouldn't say anything. One, one particular time, I got up and crawled to the end of my bed and, and wrapped my arms around this angel who never even smiled at me. And then I just got back in my bed and pulled the covers over my head, and that was it. <laughs> True story. So these are the kind of things that I experienced um, growing up very solid. The Lord, unfortunately, I rebelled at um, the age of 14, and the Lord stopped me in my tracks and filled me with the Holy Spirit, I say, on, on, uh, on default, because I wasn't trying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But he had to seal me off because he knew what kind of trouble I was going to get into. I left home at 17 years old in my 11th grade year. I just not get. I felt that I was being um, just withheld from life with my strict upbringing, and so I left home in my 11th grade year. And but I was a smart one. I got my own place and finished school and worked and all of that. But wanted to just see the world for myself. This went on for uh, roughly about 10 years. And um, I've lived in various cities. I've lived in Colorado for a couple of years, but at this time, I was living in Houston, Texas. Uh, finally, after about 10 years of running, um, I, just quit, I just quit running. People say, well, you know, what happened? What was your testimony? Did you get in a car wreck? Did you have a near-death experience? No. I just got tired of running from God because he never left me alone. He just would, even, I would try to get out there, I would try to be with my friends, I would try to get into stuff, and it never quite worked. I tried to drink and, and walked, up, walked off into a 12-foot pool, and they were like, who you think, you're Jesus? What is wrong with you, you know? And it left that alone, couldn't, couldn't smoke cigarettes, couldn't get into drugs, nothing. It was like there was this wall there. And I couldn't get into stuff that I wanted to get into that my friends were doing with just this wall, block. It was like every time I walked, it was like I was, boom, brick wall in my face. And um, I would get angry. I, it was some things I got into, you know, I would have these scream outs with God in my apartment alone by myself in the middle of the night. And I would literally say, why don't you leave me alone? Let me do what I want to do. Let me live my life. And, and I, I go out there and boom, hit another brick wall. And I come back crying, Lord, forgive me, God. So even I would stay out of church for a whole year. And I would go back into a church and I would sit in the back. And I would come in during praise and worship because I was trained to know the true anointing. There's not, there, most of these churches don't have true anointings today. And I would just cry and the Holy Spirit would speak to me and say, this is where you belong. And it wasn't that church, it was the atmosphere. This is where you belong. But I was kicking my foot against the prick. Know that scripture? I was kicking my foot against the prick. So I eventually gave in and um, I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? I had two houses, I lived in Houston, I had my children. I, what do you want me to do? You want me to sell my house? You want me to walk away from everything? What do you want me to do? Well, that was exactly what he wanted me to do. And he began an almost two-year process of purging me. And then he kept saying, I'm going to take you to, I'm going to teach you how to bring water to the desert. And I didn't understand what that meant. And so 
I started telling my girlfriends and people I went to, I was like, I have to leave, I have to leave Houston. They're like, why, why? I'm like, I have to leave. God's telling me to leave. I have to leave my comfort zone. I sold everything in 2007. I sold the furniture in my house. I sold the curtains off of my windows. I wasn't allowed to take anything with me. Only thing I was allowed to take with me is what I could stuff in my car with my three babies. And that was our clothes, some dishes, pots and pans, because I love to cook. I had to, had to leave with those. My television, a radio, and a DVD player. And my children, who at the time were seven, six, and five. And I had to drive across seven states, two time zones, to a place that I had never been, didn't have no family, and didn't know nobody. He told me I had to go to Charlotte, North Carolina. Then there was that debate. Why am I going to a country, North Carolina? What, what's in the, there's nothing in Charlotte. I'm a, I'm a city mouse. I was born and raised in this, the, the fifth largest city in the country and lived in the sixth largest city or fourth largest. You know, I mean, you know, it's nothing to have four or five million people in a city for me. You come into a city where it's like 600,000 people eight years ago. I'm like, what? What am I going to move? What am I going to do there? There's nothing there. He said, this is where I want you to go. So I did. I said, well, Lord, I have everything to lose. I have three babies. I'm a single mom. And I have everything to lose. So this absolutely has to be you. You have to provide. Because my kids have never known what it's like to not have a spoon of food or a pamper on their behind. They've always been provided for. So you're going to have to absolutely provide for me. And he did just that. And he, the reason why he took my things away from me, because from 1997 to 2007 is what I had worked to get all the things that I own. Nice house, lived in the suburbs of Houston, in a good neighborhood, beautiful furniture, have decoration taste, or what have you. But in all the things that I had obtained in 10 years, I did not bless God for any of those things. They were things that I had done that I had created, that Mina had worked with her hands. And the Lord told me I had to leave it all behind. And he said, I'm going to teach you what it means when I give you something and when you bless me for everything. And what it took me 10 years to obtain, and from 1997 to 2007, that the Lord had told me I had to walk all the way from, I regained in 18 months and he, living in Charlotte. And the first year, and well, actually the first two and a half years, he was still preparing me, stripping me, because I was one of those people where I just like to be friendly and have friends and want everybody to like me. I struggled with that because I was bullied severely when I was a child. I was just different. I was very intelligent and very beyond my years, and people just couldn't grasp that. I didn't understand it. But I know it now. And so I was always, you know, I just want people to like me. So the Lord had to strip me of that. Because we can't be man pleasers. We just can't be man pleasers. And especially you cannot be in leadership and be a man pleaser. And there's too many of those around today. Too many people are, too many churches are collecting people instead of discipling people. And that's the problem. So first two and a half years. He sent me into about 50 churches in Charlotte. I'd be driving down the street. This is your assignment. I want you to go in there. Lord, where do you want me to go in there? Just wait. 
When I tell you, I'll tell you which Sunday, I'll tell you which Wednesday, I'll tell you which Saturday to walk up in that church. Okay, Lord. Now, sometimes it'd be a few days, a week. One time, the worst, worst case scenario, it was three months before he told me to walk in this church. Lord, where, I'm still waiting for you. I ain't told you yet. Just, And he always would wake me up on the morning that I was trying to barbecue, that I was trying to get some extra Z's, trying to do some laundry. Okay, I want you to go today. What? Lord, come on, man. We, we, I was going... We're going to, bar- it's Memorial Day weekend. Lord, what? I got- I'm trying to barbecue. No, I want you to go today. So I have to go. This is my relationship with him. I'm sharing these intimate things with you. He took me into these churches in Charlotte so that I could see what is in the churches today. And he's grieved. He's very grieved. And I went into these churches sometimes just for the people sometimes just for the pastors, sometimes for both. And I went in exposing false prophets, secrets, pastors who were stealing from the members, who were mistreating their wives. Oh yeah, they wanted to kill me. I had some pastors threaten me. Two churches the Lord sent me into in Charlotte to speak the spirit of Ichabod over to warn them that if they did not change their ways, that God would depart from that church. In both cases, they did not listen. In both cases, to this day, those churches are shut down. They're closed. He had, and I, in the first couple of times, it was very scary for me, and I used to get into these arguments with God in the kitchen. I don't want to go back. Don't send me back to tell those people that. But he had to, use, he had to break that compromise from me. But we, now, my calling, and I have no shame in saying it, my calling is in the prophetic. My calling is a prophet. I don't run around with titles. I don't care about titles. Titles do not get you into heaven. So when people come to me and they're like, well, let me speak to the prophetess. I'm like, my name is Mina. Just, just call me Mina. That's, my birth certificate says Mina. It does not say prophetess. People get wrapped up in titles. Titles don't bring your anointing. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. That doesn't mean anything. So yes, that's my calling, but here's the deal. Had I not turned my life around and died in my sins, it wouldn't have mattered what my calling was. I would have gone straight to hell, and that's a fact. That's a fact. You just have to call it what it is. All of that being said, the prophecy that was given to my mother in 1986 about me was that God would use me in the final, final last days, just like that. And that my ministry would be greater than hers, which is part of the reason why I ran, because my mother's been in ministry for 30 years. She's been all over the country. She's, she had a television show one time on Angel Network in the 90s. She's mentored pastors, leaders, prophets, people in Canada, people in Holland. But my mother was so persecuted, and I watched that, and I didn't want no parts of that. And that's part of the reason why I ran. So it's funny because you got all these people who are running and lunging for titles, trying to go to theology school and getting ordained by people. Oh, I want to be a pastor, prophet, a teacher. But it's funny because I find that the ones who are truly called to be that are the ones who are trying to duck and dodge. (laughs) That's what I found. You can have my calling. I'll give it to you. Because it, it comes with a heavy price. And it comes with heavy judgment 
when you speak a thing that has not been given to you by God. And that is not taken seriously enough today. To a lot of people go based off of the scripture in the Old Testament. I believe it's Ezekiel that says, when, a, when you see a prophet and he speaks and says this or that in the name of God, and it does not come to pass, then that prophet is false. We only are going off of that scripture, and that's an error, and I'll tell you why. Because if we go to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus distinctively said that in the last days, false prophets and false teachers would arise, performing miraculous signs and wonders. Meaning that they would have the signs with them. So much so that the very elect would be deceived if it were possible. That, those are the exact words that Jesus spoke. We've forgotten that, and we think just because a person can call out a name or see your numbers on your P.O. box, that that's a man, a woman, a God, and we flock to these people like an after-Christmas sale at Walmart, and we're in error. We're in error. And then we're wondering why we're being tossed to and fro like the wind, because we're not ground-rooted in Christ. So in all of my words, and all of my messages, I begin with, don't hear me. I'm a human being, subject of error, subject to failure, just like every one of you. We're not greater than one another. We're not less than one another. We were all created in the image of God after his likeness. So it's not the person you follow. You test the spirit with the Holy Spirit to see if that is the spirit of God speaking and it will confirm the truth in your hearts and in your minds. It'll even convict you because it doesn't always feel good. It'll even convict your spirit of those things that you have hidden in your heart. But more importantly in the end, it's to know the voice of the Lord yourselves. It's not to know the voice of God through a man or a woman or a pastor or a prophet or a teacher. He says, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And we have, we're missing that today in the body of Christ. Too many of us do not know the voice of the Lord for ourselves. We're following our leaders instead of following Jesus. And that's who we should be following. And so, with that, the Lord began speaking to me really a couple of years ago. He told me some things were getting ready to change in the ministry, and, you know, the Lord's always true to his word. Always. I've, again, been seeing prophetic things since I was a little girl. I'll give you a key factor and run through something real quick. In 1987, I had a dream. It's one of the first prophetic dreams that I had, where I woke up out of my sleep in the same apartment that I grew up in in the night, which was a high-rise apartment on 54th and High Park, and apartment 905, I can still remember that, ninth floor. But when I got up out of the bed, it was nighttime, and I was a grown woman. I wasn't a kid. I wasn't a child. And I was getting ready for work. And I went to go iron a, a, a white blouse with the ironing board and 
turned on the television. And when I turned the TV on, I guess it was the news or headlines or breaking news, but it was just flashing all this chaos, wars, riots, gang violence, death. Well, not so much natural disasters, but people disasters. And I was looking and I was flipping and flipping it. Well, the remotes weren't around back then. I think they were. They were the two or three buttons that you up, down, that's it, on, off, that's it. I actually come from the eras of uh, eight tracks and uh, <laughs> boom boxes. So I know I look younger, but I, I remember the first time I saw a CD. We used to still play my mom's record players when I was coming up. So I was flipping the channel, and it was just a disaster on every channel, every channel, every channel. And I put on my, my blouse and left and went to go downstairs like I was going to work. And when I left the building, I was outside, and the wind was blowing really, really, really hard. And anyone who visits Chicago, Chicago's called the Windy City. It's known for its wind that comes off the lakefront. But it was unusual. The night was very, very dark, and it was a red tent in the sky. And I saw people running. I noticed that people were running and screaming. And they were saying, it, but it wasn't a lot of people. It was scarce. I see somebody running across the street, somebody running up the street, and they were saying things like, run for your life. Run for your life, the end is here, the end has come. And I walked past three newspaper stands, the wire ones, not the ones that you used to put the 50 cents in, I mean, everything's digital now. You know, the, the, it was 25 cents and 50 cents for the Sunday, if y'all remember that, <laughs> Sunday paper. But they were actually wire stairs where, like, you could stack flyers on top of. And there were a stack of papers that had black and white pictures or flyers, and, in the, and they were blowing down the wind. And the wind was blowing them down the street, and as they were blowing down the street, the wind was ripping them in half, just ripping them to shreds. So I walked up on the stands, and I noticed that the first stack of papers was a picture of George Washington. The second stack of papers was a picture of Abraham Lincoln. The third stack of papers was a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. I recognized all their faces at that point. I knew who these people were at that age. And I was trying to catch them to prevent them from flying down the street, but I couldn't catch them. I couldn't catch them. And they were just being ripped up in the wind, ripped up in the wind. And I kept looking, and I walked to the end, and I saw now a regular newspaper stand, the old-fashioned ones with, you know, put the quarter in, pull the thing down, get your newspaper out. And on the front cover, it said in bold letters, the end of America's freedom. And there was a president's picture on the front cover, but it was a silhouette, so I could not see any features. It was like a black outline or what have you, like a silhouette. And I kept looking and squinting my eyes trying to see, but I couldn't see. But I understood that it had something to do with the city of Chicago because I was in my neighborhood. I came out of the dream. So I told my mother this dream when I was a little girl. And the only thing I specifically remember asking my mom was, Mama, why? Did I see a picture of Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and Martin Luther King? Like, why? And my mom said, baby, I don't know. Maybe it's because they were all Christians and they all went to heaven. She didn't know. 
It wasn't until decades later, and it was about three years ago. I never forgot that dream. Always remembered it very clearly. And I knew, that other thing was that I knew that the end was near in that dream. I didn't know if, now the one thing I didn't know, I didn't know if the rapture had taken place or if we were in the tribulation, but I knew the end was there. People were screaming that. Three years ago, I was at home and in the daytime in the afternoon, and the Lord brought the dream back to me. I said, yes, Lord, I remember that dream very clearly. And the Lord began to give me the revelation of my own dream from practically 30 years prior. And that was, we're living that dream today. And those three people that I saw represented three major errors in our country of freedom. George Washington, 1776, Declaration of Independence, we become a nation. Abraham Lincoln, Civil War, and slavery. Martin Luther King, the 1960s up to 1969, Civil Rights Movement. And they were all being ripped up. For those of you who don't know, but I think everyone knows, we know that our current president is from Chicago, and he's from the South Side which is where I was born and raised and grew up. In that same area where I was raised is where he's from. Same exact side of town. I absolutely not know, I, be, I not believe, but know that the Lord was showing me in 1987 where we would be at today as a nation. Fast forward to 2004. Summer of 2004, three and a half years before I even get into ministry, still at that point, at the verge of getting my life act together and coming back to the Lord, but still not quite there yet. I was leaving my apartment complex. It was the last apartment I lived in before I bought my first house. There was a man who was coming. He he had a clipboard in his hand, and he was getting all of the black people to sign a petition against President George W. He walked up to me, approached me, and I was trying to go to the clubhouse to go to the, we had a clubhouse, and either to go to the computer or I was going to go swimming because we had a pool. And he stopped me, and he's talking fast. He's like, yeah, you know, I need you to sign this. He's, that's how he was kind of talking. That's how it went through my head and processed anyways. You know, well, Bush is doing this for the black people, this black me. He's not doing this new net, blah, 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 blah. And I looked at him, and I was like, looking around. I was like, do you not know where you at? We in Texas. Are you crazy? They named schools and streets after this man. You think you're really going to get far with that? You know, that was my, <laughs> you know, it didn't make no sense. When I moved to Houston in 1995, Bush was our governor. Like, nah, it's not going to work. <laughs> You a lone man on the island, man, seriously. You might as well give that up. <laughs> seriously. And he was really upset with me that I wouldn't sign it. I'm like, you know, I'm not into that racism thing. I just really am not. Look, we, our family's a box of Crayola crayons. We don't care about that stuff. Don't let the school, the skin fool you. No. Look at my resume. There you go. So... I was looking at him like this, and he was, I, I said, and I, I stood there, and I looked at him, and I said, let me tell you something. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, uh, listen, Bush is going to win the second term. 
because this was during 2004 when he was running against Carrie, I think, at that time. Was it Carrie or the weird guy? Anyways, <laughs> I said, this is not the person you need to worry about. He's going to win a second term. Oh, man, why are you saying that? I said, listen to me. He's not the one you need to worry about. It's the president that's coming after him that you need to worry about. Because the president that comes after Bush is the one that's going to lead this country into the tribulation. That man took two steps back at me. He had a cigarette behind his ear. He took that cigarette from behind his ear. He said, lady, what you talking about? He said, you some kind of psychic or something? What you talking about? Who, who going to be the next president? I said, I don't know. It could be Mickey Mouse. And that's what I said. I don't know who's going to be president after this. But I'm telling you, whoever he is, that's the one you need to run from. And I said this in the summer of 2004. Fast forward four more years. April of 2008. Now we have this new man on the rise. Barack Hussein Obama running with Hillary Clinton, trying to get the Democratic primary. My mother calls me up. Now I'm living, at this point I'm living in Charlotte Hadn't been there six months, or actually had been there, yeah, hadn't been there six months. Starting to get into ministry. I was about four months into ministry at that point. My mom calls me up and she says, Mina, I think Hillary's going to win. What better way to crush a nation than to put her in office? That's my mom's words. I said, Mom, you think she's going to win? She said, I think she's going to win. I said, Mom, you don't think it's going to be the other guy? She said, no, I don't think it's going to be the other guy. We know it ain't going to be the Republicans because look what just happened. Okay. Went to bed that night. Had a dream. In this dream, I was driving my mom's red VW Beetle. My mom drives a Beetle. My mom's about this tall. That's not a car for me. I'd be like this. Okay, on the dashboard trying to turn. I'm not a little girl. My mom's about this tall. She's about five foot even. I'm five nine. Amazon chick. <laughs> so somehow I was able to fit in my mom's little beetle in this car, but it's a dream, right? Spirit realm. There you go. Everything fits there. And I'm driving out and turning out to the shoulder of a freeway. And I get a phone call on my cell phone, and I pick it up, and it's actually Mike's husband. No, not that one. He's not Mike's husband. Okay, just cleared it out. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> um, and he's on the phone, and he's talking to me, and he's saying, so what do you think about this new president? Barack Obama won. What do you think of that? And I'm on the phone, cell phone, make it a right on this street. And I start quoting Revelation chapter 6. And behold, he opened up the second seal. And a red horse came forth. And he was given power to take peace from the earth. And he was given a great sword. And there was much war and death. I quote this in my dream. And then right after that, it was like the scenes changed. And it was like I was looking all over the world and I saw people of all nations and tongues, different televisions, old televisions, in Arabic nations, they had the, the captions at the bottom, 
and written in their language, showing that Obama had won. And people were cheering all over the world. And I saw the Taliban, and I saw Al-Qaeda, and their faces were wrapped, and they had guns in their hands, and they were cheering, cheering. Yeah, yeah. I came out of the dream. I called my mom. I said, Mama, Mama, you got me to tell you this dream. I know who's going to win. She's like, what? Mom, let me tell you this dream. I told her the dream. I said, Mom, not only is he going to win the Democratic primary, he's going to win the election. And Mom, it's going to be trouble. I, I know that we're not in the tribulation yet, but Mom, I was quoting the scripture about the red horse. So something associated with him is going to take peace from the earth. Well, he's lived that out to this day. He instigated the Arab Spring. He lit all these little fires in the Middle East. He started playing tit for tat with Putin, with Russia. All of these things, he's messing, still currently messing with Israel. He had Gaddafi killed in Libya. He had Mumar, Marmar, whatever his name is, in Egypt kicked out in February 11, 2011. All of these different things. He started a lot of racial tension that had been, I'm not going to say completely removed, but at least hidden, tucked away in this country. He's done just that. What little bit of peace we have. And I tell people, they said, well, oh, no, he's doing a good thing. You know, these, these, these dictators need to be removed. No, you need to understand, even though those nations had dictators, it was peace, it's order, control, if you could even call it that. Yeah, we know Gaddafi was really out of his mind. But he had control over his country. Egypt had control over their country. Syria had control over their country. Yemen had control over their country. Tunisia had control over their country. Right? Right? He pulled them out, had them plucked out or instigated it or stuck his half a cent, not two and a half cents, but a half a cent in there to cause chaos because I tell people, think about it. If everything is in order, people will not cry out for peace. They will not cry out for a leader. Only in chaos will people cry out for a leader. Only in chaos. So a lot of people ask me, common question today, do I think President Obama is the Antichrist? My personal opinion, no. I believe he is the demolition man. Forewarner. I know he fits into a lot of those categories, but don't quite find the United States in Bible prophecy. Now, some people will argue and say that maybe it's Mystery Babylon. Maybe. I don't know. But even if it is Mystery Babylon, that would be the only, we know what happens to it. When you're talking about everybody else and peace treaties and ten kings and, and all of that and the Antichrist, we've got China, we've got 
Well, Kings of the East is not just China. That's everyone East Orient. That's India, Pakistan, that's China, Thailand, Japan. People only think it's China because of the, the million people that, or mil 10 million people that they have in their army. But the Kings of the East is the Eastern culture, the Eastern Orient, period. We got Russia, we have a Gog and Magog. We got Israel, we got Libya that's named in Daniel, Persia, which is Iran. That became Iran just recently in the 1940s. Prior to that, for generations, it was called Persia. We've got Greece in some parts. We've got definitely Europe. We've got the revived Roman Empire. No America. Why would the greatest nation on this planet, the most powerful since World War II, not be mentioned in the Bible? Or if it is then it's under a mystery name and it's utterly destroyed. That's why I don't believe he's hurt. There's no, nothing about the Antichrist coming out from this foreign land from the West somewhere, no. Bible's pretty specific of where he comes from. But if you have to understand that, think about a construction site. Somebody eyes out a piece of land Okay, I want to buy that land. I'm going to build my metropolis on it. Who's the first people he called in? Demolition people. They got to clear out the rocks, the trees, everything before the pipes can be laid, before the electricity can be put up. That's what has to come forth. I believe he's the demolition man. I believe he is setting this country up or this world up, excuse me. He's part of the play of setting this world up for the coming of the Antichrist, who I believe is alive and well and in the making right now. He's just waiting for his right moment to rise. Absolutely believe he's alive. Are we the last generation that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, and Luke chapter 21, I would say absolutely. The sign is the fig tree. Israel became a nation in 1948. Some say the real time clock began when they took back Jerusalem in the Six-Day War in 1967. Either or, Jesus said, once you see those things, that generation would not pass to see all the things fulfilled. All meaning from the beginning to him breaking the sky and coming forth for his millennial reign. So then there's the argument of what's a generation. Mostly back in the scripture, a generation is roughly about 70 years. 80, 70 to 80. David mentions it in the Psalms or what have you. Some people have said 100. But typically, if, if you go into the scriptures, it says 70 to 80 years. We are that generation. I think Israel just celebrated their 67th year anniversary just a couple weeks ago. We're that generation. For the United States, God bless this country. That doesn't mean that all of our forefathers had everything together. Yes, they were Freemasons, and you have to understand that before the Freemasons got hooked up with the Illuminati, they were a Christian base, if you know your history. 
I do a lot of history studies, something that we don't do enough of. I don't think that's more in this generation here, but my generation and under, they're not teaching history no more. I do a lot of history search of even, most people don't even know the history of the Bible and how we got it. But yes, not, you know, all, not all of our founding fathers were where they're supposed to be. We can go into D.C. and see a lot of symbols that are very pagan, demonic. Most people don't know that Christopher Columbus was paid by the Jews during the Spanish Inquisition to find a new land. Two-thirds of the people on the Mayflower were Jews. They don't tell you that in school. They don't. But yes, we see many things. Yes, you know, the Europeans came in here and they killed off the Native Americans. And yes, there was a lot of war and disease. Yes, they went into Africa and they enslaved a lot of the hierarchy African people and brought them to this country and used the Bible to keep them enslaved. There's a lot of bad things. Yes, that's true. But you have to understand even the scripture that says, with Satan meant for evil, God will turn around for the good. So no, the history of our country is not perfect to those who want to argue that. But when you look at it in its totality, really the foundation of the United States of America was built on the Bible. It really was. However twisted, little leaven, whatever, lukewarm you want to call it, it still was built on the Bible. And we helped Israel to become a nation. It was uh, Eisenhower, I think it was, who was in office at the time when World War II ended, if I'm not mistaken who helped assist in Israel becoming a nation in a day. The Bible says in Genesis, it was God who told Abraham, make that everlasting covenant for a thousand generations. I will bless those who bless thee, and I will curse those who curse thee. In the last 40 years, we have taken God out of our schools. We've legalized abortion. We've now legalized homosexuality of marriage. And we've become a lawless nation, a nation of lawlessness. It is what the scripture says in the last days they will call evil good and good evil. We are living in that times because what is right is being persecuted and what is wrong is being encouraged and uplifted and honored. And we're in trouble. For the last 10 years or so, we've heard a lot of people who were part of the charismatic movement that started in the 60s and 70s, maybe even the late 50s. We're talking like Catherine Kuhlman, A.A. Allen, R.W. Schambach, Hal Lindsey. We have the David Wilkerson's and the Dimitri Dudamans and the Bob Jones and all of those people who were part of that charismatic movement that began prophesying if we did not repent that God would bring judgment on this nation. But we have not repented. We have not. The question is, can we now at this point reverse the judgment? The answer that I'm bringing you today is no. We're now at the point of no return. 
Spring of last year, the Lord came to me. Three o'clock in the morning, woke me up out of my sleep and spoke this word, death to the finances. I woke up, looked around the room, make sure my husband wasn't talking in his sleep. I said, death to the finances. The Lord said, a recession within a recession is coming. Immediately, I went in the spirit and had a vision where I saw a black horse riding across a calendar. The months were September, October, November, December. And I was looking and I watched it very clearly. I began to talk to the Lord. I said, Lord, black horse. I said, the color black represents death. Now, you have to understand it's you know, 3 o'clock in the morning. Your scruples are not together. You kind of... Say, so, oh, the black horse represents death, Lord. That's, a, that's why you're showing me you said death to the finances, and that's why you see the black horse. He says, no, daughter. You're thinking about the pale horse. Oh, yeah, pale horse. What was the black horse again? My actual conversation with him. Day's wages for a loaf of bread is what he said. Oh, yeah, that's right. That is the black horse. Lord, you're showing this to me. He said, begin to tell the people now. He said, the banks will fail. Businesses will crumble. He said, tell my children who are depending on the government. The government will fail. Social Security will fail. They must trust me. I am the only one that will see them through what is coming. And I said, well, Lord, you're showing me the end months, and is this, for, is this for this year? He said, no, it's not. I started crying. I said, Lord, then that means we're going to be here. Lord, when are you coming to get us? It's getting so crazy. And I was really, my heart was burdened by this. And he said, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to worry. It's just a little while longer. Just hold on. But this has to come to pass. Only time he spoke to me last year about that. All last year, starting in actually the end of 2013, I saw ISIS before we heard about it. I saw the Ebola virus before we heard about it. I put these out on my YouTube videos. I went on radio shows. I start January 1st, January 22nd. I said, look, and this is what's going to happen this year. All the way through the spring, I saw the time where the government was going to start rising up against pastors that are speaking against homosexuality. We found that at the end of last year when Houston's mayor started subpoenaing all the sermons that spoke against gender equality, abortion, or homosexuality. Either you give them up or you be held in contempt of law. The Lord told me that last spring that that was getting ready to happen. He showed me the race riots before they had started. All of that, the violence that would increase before Michael Brown, before Baltimore, before Trayvon Martin, really. Actually, the year Trayvon Martin is where it goes back to, I was on a television program with a rabbi. I started talking about it then, 2013. So he kept giving me all these things, but they were the things for that year. And they all, all of them came to pass, every single one of them. But there was this peace about an economic collapse that he said was not for that year. Well, all of that changed in the beginning of this year. 
The Lord started showing me back to back to back. It was like a two or three week period. He was just almost wearing me out like at night, like, Lord, please. And when he said, I want you to begin to prepare physically, tell the people to prepare. Came to me in February, beginning, right before my birthday. Gave me a dream, he said. I want you to start stocking up on food and supplies. My mother had been talking about this for years, the last three or four years. She had been saying this to people. She had been saying it to me. You know, I'm like, eh. I mean, I believe it's coming, but you know, you're just kind of living day to day. Oh, I need to go to the store this week, you know, go get some bread and milk, eggs. It's kind of one of those things that you not go over your head, but those things that you kind of store in the back of your brain in your file cabinet. Go back and check on it later. But the Lord himself came to me and told me, this was my first time he audibly spoke to me and said, listen, I want you to do this. He gave me a specific dollar amount. And I was like, Lord, what? He said, because it's not just for the family, you're going to help your ministry. We have a physical ministry. We're home-based, but we're actually in seven states. We're actually more than seven states now, but I always keep it at the seven states across the country. He said, you're going to be helping people from what's coming. I said, Lord, that's fine, but we don't have the money right now. You know, we just moved back to Charlotte and just bought a house, and we're in transition, and we got the mortgage paid up until March. We have Passover in April. Passover is our biggest ministry event that we have every year. People come in from all over the country to spend a three-day weekend with us. And we pay for everything. We pay for all the food and everything, and we never charge anybody anything, so that's huge money coming out of our pocket. And I said, Lord, we got Passover coming up. We, you know, we don't really have the funds for that. He said, I want you to worry about the money. I'm going to provide. But when you get the money, this is what I want you to do. You must do it. I said, okay, Lord. Long story short, we were waiting on a lump sum of money that we were not supposed to technically get until May, beginning of May. I told my husband what the Lord had told me. He said, okay. Two days after the Lord gave me that word, we checked the mail, and the paperwork for our money was in the mail two days later. After we filled out our paperwork for our lump sum, 10 days after that, we got our money, two and a half months ahead of schedule. Blew my husband away. What was blowing me away was not the money. It was the fact that, okay, if this is happening, then the other part that he's saying must be coming. We started, you know, we did about half of that. Got Lackadaisical, Passover came, we were getting the house ready for that. We had a wedding that we did. We married a couple. We had a messianic wedding. Two months go by, April. I get a visitation from an angel, very rare. I've seen Jesus more than I've seen angels in my life. My, most of my angelic visitations happened when I was a little girl. That's how they really began. In my adult years, it was Jesus who came to me. But I saw an angel. An angel came to me in April, right after Passover. And he's tall guy. Didn't have wings. He was like a, a man, very tall, seven feet, seven and a half feet tall, dressed in a simple white robe. He had a board in his hand. 
And he said, he looked at me and he said, the countdown has begun. And he flipped the board over and it was like this digital clock on the board. And it was counting down so rapidly you couldn't see, but you knew the numbers were decreasing. Like a digital, you know, like a stopwatch. And then he points at me and he says, you have not done, you have not completed the task that God called you to do. And I'm looking, my eyes are like, oh boy, the task. He said, what did the Lord tell you to do? Well, he told me to stock up on food and, and oh. You must complete that task because time is running out. Okay. Immediately, I find myself in a grocery store, and I'm running down these aisles, and my husband's with me, and we have this shopping cart full of groceries piled all the way above the, the cart line. But me and my husband are in the aisle being silly and goofing off, and these people come out of nowhere, and they put us out the store, and they tell us, you have to leave now. Get out of here. And I was like, well, what about our food? No, too late. You shouldn't been goofing off. Get out the store. And now we're like trying to run out of the store and these people are pushing us and I see this old-fashioned alarm clock, the one with the two bells on there. Y'all remember that? They were loud. You know, they got the cute little ones now. They wake you up with all the spa music. Doo -doo 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 -doo. You know. They were like, bring! Remember those? <laughs> Scare you out of your sleep, you know. You really get up. Ain't no hitting the snooze button after that. You're up. Okay, what happened? One of those, the two bells on top. It was gold. And it had a gold chain attached to it. And it read 30 seconds to midnight. Like it was a, but it was, you know, the hand. So you knew the hand was in between that lad, in between those two little slots. So you knew it was a half a minute to midnight. And I'm running through this store knowing that this clock is gonna go off at any second. And I come out of my experience and I was shooken by it. And I told my husband and he said, Mina, that's the comment. He said, for the last three days, the Lord has been weighing on me that we have to complete that task. So we didn't waste no time. The next day, we started our shop. We was trying to finish the other half of our shopping. And I get a text message from a sister in Christ that we know that's in Midland, Texas. And she texts me and she says, Sister, I need you to pray for me because they just kicked us out of our store. She works at Walmart. I don't know what's going on. They just told us that the store is closing and I don't know what to do. She's a single mom of five kids. She was a housewife for 20 years and bad story with that marriage and she had to go find a job now and support her children. And Walmart was the place that she got the job at about eight months ago. She was like, I need you to pray for me. I don't know what's going on, what's happening. So me and my husband are out. We're like, I'm like, they just closed the Walmart? It's like, what's really going on? We, I had no idea. We, by the time we get back home, it's all over the news. They laid off 2,200 people, five states. 2,200 people. 
So it shook me up that night. I couldn't sleep because, you know, I'm dreaming about getting kicked out of a store. The angel's telling me you need to finish your task, and now they're closing Walmarts? What? What's really going on? So I stayed up that night, past midnight, houses, everybody sleep, kids, husband, my two cats, everybody sleep. But I'm up in the downstairs dining room, and I'm wired. And I feel this shake in my spirit. And that's not normal for me. My husband could tell you, I'm a tough cookie. My joke is I'm from Chicago. You can't have thin skin coming from there. Not too many things shake me. I'm usually the person that's brushing stuff off the rug, like, mm, unless the Lord tells me. Not one who gets shaken too easily by too many things. I'm not even scared of the devil. Most people know that, that know me. The devil, no. <laughs> but I was shaking in my spirit, and I was praying because I couldn't shake that. And I said, Lord, why do I feel such a disturbance in my spirit behind this? Are these two things related? Is some, are you telling, like, who cares? I mean, not, I'm not going to say who cares, but who really cares if they close a couple of Walmarts? Why do I feel so shaken in my spirit by this? Most people know I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't, I stay away from that because that stuff is gray areas. And when you're in the prophetic, you have to stay away from gray areas because that's dangerous. So I don't get into that. I hear them, people send me stuff, people email me stuff all the time. I'm like, yeah, yeah, scroll, scroll, delete, delete, check, check. But this was really hitting me in my core. And I was like, Lord, is this related? to what you're showing me? I said, Lord, please give me peace, give me peace, give me peace. I just prayed, 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 sitting there at my dining room table, please, Lord, give me peace. I called my aunt, she lives in Nashville, Tennessee. She says, yeah, well, here's something else. They're closing the Walgreens over here. They just shut the Walgreens down for no, pro for no reason. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, we need to pray, we need to pray. It's like, wow, that's not giving me no peace. <laughs> that's just turning the fire up more. I got off the phone with her. I said, oh, Lord, who else am I going to call? Oh, Mama. I haven't talked to Mama in a while. Yeah, Mom would know. Mom knows everything. Mom knows stuff I don't know. It's true. But there's one person that can reach heaven. It's my mother. I called her. I knew she would be asleep. So I left a message on her voicemail. I said, Mama, I know I sound crazy, and I know it's like 12 o'clock midnight, and no, I'm okay, I'm breathing, it's alive, and I'll call 911, but let me tell you this. So I started telling her about the angel and what he told me. I said, Mama, things are about to get really, really, really bad, and I know you're in Virginia, but I just want you to know that if we have to come get you, we're going to come get you, Mama. I would never let anything happen to you. This is my message. I fell asleep downstairs in the den, just shaken. Did had no intentions of it. But my phone rang, and I thought it was my alarm to get me up from to take my kids to school. And so I jumped up and I was like, oh my God, is it seven o'clock already? You know, I was looking around and noticed it was my phone. I grabbed my phone, I missed the call, it was my mother, 3.13 in the morning. 
Now I'm really panicking because mama don't call at 3.13 in the morning. Anybody's mama they call at 3.13 in the morning is probably emergency. So I call her back. I'm like, is everything okay? I'm still discombobulated. You know, blood sugar, blood pressure's doing this, you know, <laughs> coming out to sleep. Mom, are you okay? Yeah. I had to call you back. I got your message. Mom, you could wait. That is, that's, you can wait till the morning to come back. No, I had to call you. I heard that message and I had to call you back to tell you this. I saw the same thing three weeks ago. Now my attention's like, whoa, what? She said, Mina, let me tell you about my visitation. She tells me about hers. Long story short, she sees the martyred Christians, and I'm mentioning this because this is something I talk about in my ministry for the last year. She saw the Christians who were being martyred overseas in Africa and the Middle East and China and North Korea, Indonesia. She didn't know who they were at first, and she asked the Lord now, where I saw an angel, the Lord was with my mom. She asked the Lord, who are these people? They were in a great hall. And he said, these are, the, these are my children who have been martyred in the countries. Tell my people they must pray for their brethren overseas. They must pray for them. They're not praying for them. to all of us. We have to pray for them. But the second thing she sees is a clock. And I'm assuming hers was digital. I don't know. But she said, Mina, the clock that I saw read 30 seconds to midnight. Same thing. Fourth thing. The Lord, or is that fourth thing? Third thing. He takes her up over the United States, floating high in the stratosphere, come down past the clouds. She hears this screeching, rumbling sound. And she hears people crying out. And there's a great, massive earthquake. And she, when they're coming down further past the clouds, she sees that it's over the state of California. And then these lights are coming out of the rubble. And as they're coming out of the rubble, the angels are swooping down and catching them. And she asked the Lord, Lord, what are the lights? What is that? He says, those are the souls of my children that will perish in the earthquake. So me and my mom were on the phone till five in the morning. We get off the phone. Now, I just don't sleep at that point. It's, we can forget it. Journalist pumping. I just stayed downstairs in prayer till I heard my husband's footsteps upstairs moving around because he has to get up and be at work at 7 in the morning. I go upstairs, he's looking at me like, you ain't on the bed, what's going on? <laughs> You've been downstairs all night? So I started telling him what was given, and he's like, wow. Prior to that, On February 21st, which was right after the Lord 
had came to me and told me that I began, I needed to begin to prepare, which was about, maybe about two weeks after. He woke me up at 3.33 in the morning and he began speaking to me. And he told me I had to write it down. And that when I, he told me, he said, I want you to put it on your website, to put it on Facebook, that wherever you write it, this is what you have to say. And whenever you speak it, wherever you go to speak it, this is how you have to say it. Now at this point, honestly, truly honestly, when he said, wherever you speak it, I'm thinking, it'll be to my Bible study group or our ministry. And no idea that this word was going to go across continents now. But he knew. And now I understand why he gave me such specific words of how to write it. So when you speak it out to the people. Again, I'm thinking, oh, it's our, you know, ministry group. No, that's not what it was about. So I have to read this to you all, and I'm going to tell you exactly word for word what he gave me. This word was specifically for the churches in this nation, period. He told me when you write it down, you have to start it with, thus saith the Lord. And my mother is a prophetess as well. Her mother was called to be a prophetess but walked away her mother was called to be a prophet. I come from a line. My great-grandmother, who full-blooded Jew, prophesied everything that's going on in this generation in the 50s. My mom, who's been in ministry for 30 years, my husband can attest because we have our little side jokes. She is one that would be like, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. I mean, that shit just comes out. I am the one that hides under the table and say, look, I'll say the Lord told me. When you say, thus saith the Lord, that's serious. Like, put some foil on my head and run out to Noah's door because I don't want the lightning to strike me, you know, ducking and dodging through the... I have high respect for God. You don't just play with God. You don't just play with his words. You don't just, you know, so many people do that, but I'm like, do you all fear God? Because I'm scared. I want to be within a hundred mile radius of you right now. Because napalm about to fall on you. Like, mm -mm. So this is the first time he ever said to me, you have to say this. I'm like, Lord, really? Are you sure? Now you really got to come down and visit me and be like me. Now I said this because don't let the devil be whispering in my ear talking about thus saith the Lord. No, no. I will pack it up and go in the wilderness and hide for the rest of my life before I say something that God did not tell me to say. I'm a stance on that. Like, I never want to stand before God and he'd be like, you said and did blah, blah, blah without my permission. Free of that. I'd rather go rob a store than to stand before God and have the blood of the saints on my hands. I take that very, I've always taken that seriously. It's part of the reason why I ran. I used to say, I can go to hell by myself. 
I don't need 30,000 people following me, looking for me for eternity. That's what I used to tell people. I used to have pastors try to date me. Oh, no, uh-uh. No. I can go to hell by myself. Just fine. I don't need you in your congregation. That was my attitude, seriously. But here's the joke, but it's seriously. That's probably why God chased me so hard, because he knew that I took it that seriously. So when he said, that, said the Lord, I said, okay. I will say it just like that. He said, thus saith the Lord, what is coming upon this nation will affect many who claim to follow me. This is because not everyone who is a part of the church I call my bride. Many believe that they will be shielded from the judgment when in fact they will go through it. Not everyone who calls upon my name will enter into my kingdom. For every 10 people who pray to me and declare me as their Lord, I only know one, says the Lord of hosts. Thus saith the Lord God, I have sent you my prophets to warn you of your disobedience and pride, but you have rejected them. You have chosen to follow those who only speak smooth words and deception, and I have not sent them. They are not my prophets. Therefore, when I pass judgment on this nation, you will feel it. Repent, says the Lord of hosts, and turn to me and seek my face. For the day of the Lord is at hand. And know that even in my judgment, I am merciful. That's what he said. And then he gave me a scripture because my mother taught me this. Since I was a little girl, she said, Mina, to make sure you're not dealing with familiar spirits, anytime you hear from the Lord, you ask him to back it up in his word. And that word must confirm the things that you heard. And that's how you will know. She taught me that from a little girl, testing the spirit with the spirit. Because there's a lot of familiar spirits out here. So I said, Lord, you have to give me scripture. What's the scripture to associate with this? He said, the judgment would be on this nation according to Isaiah chapter 17, verse 10 and 11. Now, you guys can turn there if you want. I'm well versed in the Bible. I'm not a book reader. There's a very small collection of books of about 10 or so people that I, books that I've read. Anna Roundtree's book is one of those. And totally empowered me to go deeper for the Lord. But there's a small, very, I'm not a book person. I find that too many Christians get tied up in books and they read books more than the Bible. And that's a deception. It says, study to show yourself approved. That's the word of God, not pastor so-and-so's book or devotions. Now, I'm not saying that there is something wrong with that, but when you, got, when you spend more time in books than you are with the word of God, there's a problem because the Bible tells us that the word is the sword. The, not only is the word the sword, our defense against the enemy, it's food for our spirits. If you physically stop eating, eventually you're going to wither away. And the same thing goes with your soul. So all of that being said, pretty well versed in scriptures. Not well versed in the verses. 
unless you're talking about Psalm 23, John chapter 3. You know, then I can tell you, okay, verse 17 says this, 18, you know, Genesis. Couldn't begin to even tell you what, how the first verse of Isaiah chapter 17 began. I couldn't. So, turning to verse 10 and 11, I'm like, okay. Well, what does verse 10 and 11 say? So I get up and I get my Bible. And it reads this. Because you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not been mindful of the rock of your strength, therefore shall you plant pleasant plants and shall set it with an imported seedling. And in that day you shall make the plant grow. And in the morning you shall make your seed flourish. But the harvest shall be a heap of ruins in the day of grief and of despair and sorrow. So what it says, basically, because we have got, forgotten the God of our salvation, God saves us, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, right? Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that through him the world will be saved. We've forgotten the God of our salvation. So it says you'll plant the seeds, meaning that in the beginning, it'll seem like you got it all together. In the beginning, it might seem like you have it under control. In the beginning, it might look like the economy is recovering. The stock market's recovering, bouncing back. The housing market has gotten better. Things have quieted down. The jobs have come in. Interest rates have dropped. Unemployment rate has dropped. Oh, we're on a track to recovery. But the harvest will be a heap of ruins. It's not so much what you plant in your garden, for those of you who understand that. If you have a garden, or if you have land that you plant, orchards or whatever, on. It's what you reap that can tell how well you sown. It's the harvest that produces what, how good of a job you really did. Because if you plant your seeds, but you don't water it enough, or you don't fertilize it, or you don't till the soil, it doesn't get enough sunlight or you don't prune the, the bad ends or leaves or branches, or you let the worms and the, the moths and everybody get to it. When the harvest comes, you're not gonna have much to show for it. Because this nation has forgotten the God of its salvation, it may seem like we're getting better, but we're not. It's harvest time. 
is the word that I've been giving to our ministry. This is not really a time for sowing. It doesn't mean that you don't sow, you know, you don't pay your tithes and, you know, help the poor, but we're at, there's a season for everything. God's appointed seasons. This is a Shemitah year, a year of release. Most people are not experiencing that. Very few are. And I've had to tell some people that I personally know who I've even mentored when they're like, well, me, well Sister Mina, this is that, and that, and this is, and all of this is falling apart. I'm like, what have you sown? And I'm not just talking about paying your tithes. That's important. It's more than that. Everything you do is a seed, saints. Everything you do is a seed. I know stark heathens that put money in a church. Jesus said himself, unless your righteousness supersedes that of the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees kept all the laws and they paid their tithes. It's deeper than that. It's a part of that. Not eliminating that, but it's deeper than that. We're in the season of harvest. We're September 13th, I believe, is the beginning of the Jubilee year. Jubilee is victory. Jubilee. We're in a season of harvest, a season of victory. But only those who have sown in fertile soil will reap the abundance. And everyone else will suffer a famine that's sweeping across the land. And that's the word that the Lord gave me. Too many churches today, and I'm not saying this is this church. In fact, I'm going to tell you what the Lord showed me about your church are lukewarm. Revelation chapter 3, Church of Laodicea, because you are neither hot nor cold, Jesus says, and I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out. What is that vomit out? Well, it's actually a remove, the revelation behind that is the removal from the body because Christ is the head and we're the body. It means you will be removed from the body of Christ. Understand, the church and the bride are two separate things. Parable of the ten virgins. Perfect example. All ten were virgins, representing chastened to the Lord, pure for the bridegroom. All ten had lamps. Representing the Spirit of God dwelling in them. But only five brought extra oil. That oil, the oil from on high, is relationship. 
because to the five foolish virgins that went out to get their oil and come back where the door was shut, knocks on the door, and what does the bridegroom say? I do not know you. Relationship. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into my kingdom. And in that day, many will say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and perform any signs in your name? Didn't we heal the sick? He says, but I do not know you. Operated in the gifts. That's why I said, the gifts of prophecy and faith and mirror with it. First Corinthians chapter 12, nine gifts of the spirit. Wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing, miracles, faith, all of those things, but nine of them. Do not determine your relationship with Christ. They are gifts. They are free. The Bible says gifts are given without repentance. It's like Christmas. You know, if you celebrate Christmas, you give a gift. If you celebrate Hanukkah, you still give a gift. And you say, here, here's a gift. You don't say, here's a gift, that'll be $19.95 plus tax. COD. No, that's not a gift. It's not a gift. You're charging me. The gifts come without repentance. You can prophesy all day long. The Bible says in the last days, Joel chapter 2, he will pour his spirit out upon all flesh. We're here now. It's the fruit that will remain, saints. Because the fruit has to be earned. The fruit comes with trials, tribulations, and testing. The fruit comes with refining by fire. The fruit is what produced the gifts of, of gold, silver, and precious gems that we find that Paul talks about on the day of the Lord, your reward. The wood hand stubble is the gifts. The gifts are only here for two reasons. One, for our edification is the body of Christ. Number two, it is a sign for the unbeliever, and that's it. You cannot take the gifts into heaven, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There will be no need for prophecy in heaven, no need for knowledge in heaven. It said love will remain. Why? Because 1 John tells us what? God is love. That means that the fruit of the Spirit is his. Because he is love, and love is the first one. It is the greatest of all because it is him. It is God's spirit dwelling in us. And that means that that remains, and that is constant, and that will be taken into the kingdom of heaven because it belongs to him. For every ten, he said, that pray to me and declare me as their Lord, I know only one. So I said, well, Lord, you know, they're going to eat me up about that. Because you have people out here who will say, where's that in the scriptures? It's not in the scriptures, so you, you must be speaking a false doctrine. You, you walked in my shoes for a few days, you'd probably give them, throw them back at me. I get a lot of ridicule. That's okay. As long as my Father in heaven approves of me, that's all that matters. So the Lord began talking to me. I said, Lord, that 10 to 1, I said, that's really powerful. 
That's that, that's that Matthew chapter 7, Lord, where you said not everyone who calls Lord, Lord, we can enter the kingdom. The Holy Spirit began speaking to me, and he says, yes, it's like the parable of the ten lepers. I said, what? The ten lepers? What does the ten lepers have to do with that? I mean, I know the ten thing, you know, okay, we get the ten part, right? One, ten, one, one. The ratio is good, but what does that have to do with anything? The Holy Spirit began speaking to me. Clearly, now in my kitchen, sitting at my kitchen table eating breakfast by myself. He starts downloading all this information, revelation to me. So think about the parable of the ten lepers that we find in, I think, Luke chapter 17, if I'm not mistaken. Give or take. Jesus heals ten lepers. They all go away. One comes back. One comes back and does what? Thanks him, right? Jesus says what to him? Because he came back in his faith, he was made whole, right? Made whole. What does that mean? It means that the other nine, the leprosy returned. Ah, a lot of people don't know that. That's what that meant. Because understand that God is a God of totality. He's not a God of partiality. When he healed the woman with the issue of blood, he said, your faith has made you what? Whole. Whole means that it's gone, zap, you're complete. You're the shalom. Shalom means completeness. It doesn't just mean peace. It means divine health, totality, completion. Meaning that it would never come back. Meaning that the other nine, it came back. That's the revelation to that. But here's the interesting thing. The Holy Spirit begins talking to me. I See, that's not what he told me. I already knew that. He said the ten lepers represent People, us, the Bible says what? Come as you are. What are we? Filthy rags? There is no getting your act together and then getting saved. Oh, Lord, I'll be back. Just let me go clean up myself and then I'll come back. No. You come as you are. Dirty, ratchet, wretched, sinful, low, Depressed, oppressed, suppressed, possessed, whatever. Come as you are. You don't stay as you are. See, that's the problem with the churches today. They bring them in, but there's no deliverance. There's no change. Ineffective churches. These people had leprosy, representing sin, representing the errors and problems of our lives. We come to the cross. We call out, remember, they call out, have mercy, son of David. Have mercy upon us. Lepers were outcasts. They were not allowed in the temple. They were not allowed in the city gates, which means that they couldn't do their sacrifices for their sins or anything. But we cry out to the Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And he heals us. He washes away our sins. He saves us. He pulls us out of the miry pit, out of the dung hill. He washes us, cleanses us, sets our feet on solid ground. And we, we as in where I come from, in my background, we call it, did you get saved? We got saved. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. 
That's more of a southern or the soul type of thing. We get saved. And then we go on our way. We go back to our homes, to our businesses, to our cities, to our families. We're healed, right? We're, we're clean. Jesus saved me. We even give our testimony about it probably. Yeah, Jesus of Nazareth saved me. He healed me. He washed me of my sins. We go on about our business. We forget to come face to face with the king. We forget that the scripture says, seek my face. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. If you draw nigh unto me, I will draw nigh unto you. We obtain our relationship with Jesus Christ and we forget to maintain it. The one comes back and comes face to face with the king and gives thanks. Why does he come back? He goes away, he says, I owe him my life. I have to go back and face him. I owe him everything. That one represents those who go back and say, I surrender my life to you for what you have done for me. Not my will, but your will be done. I will follow you wherever you go. That's the revelation behind that, that the Holy Spirit gave me. Shortly after my first visitation with the angel, I had a second visitation from the same angel. I saw him again a couple of weeks after that. I was in a hall in the desert plain somewhere. And I was like in a Muslim country because the women were separated from the men and the women had the burqas around their heads. And I was scared because I didn't. And I was like, they're going to get me. And I saw the angel sitting in front of me at a table eating. And I thought, what is he doing here of all places? And he smiles at me and he takes his hand and summons me to come near him. But they're like morale police around, making sure that the women stay separate from the men. And I'm looking like they're going to get me. And he says, come here. Come here. So I walk down the aisle to where he's sitting. And then I realize that those police guards didn't even see me. They couldn't see me. And the angel looks at me and smiles and he says, I have a question. And I said, yes. He says, do you think that what's coming to the United States of America is reversible? And I looked and I thought about it and I said, well, no. I've been talking about it since 2012. So no, I don't think it's reversible. He says, you're right. It is irreversible. And you tell the people who are thinking that if they run or if they leave the country that they will escape, that they will not escape. 
because what is coming to the United States of America is going to ripple effect across the whole world and everyone will feel it. And I said, okay. He said, tell them. I said, okay. A couple of nights later after that, about three nights later, I found myself in a huge study room, beautiful. The floor was glass, but the walls were made out of like cedar wood or cherry wood and there were huge bookshelves with books on them. And in this great room was probably about seven or eight angels. And there was one escorting me, he was to my right. And there was a huge table in the middle of the room that had a map on it. The map was the map of the United States. And I didn't understand why I was there. And the angel that was standing to my right, he had a paper scroll in his hand and he was holding it up like this. He was taller than me, but it was high enough where I could look over and see where he was, what he had. And there was a strange foreign writing on it. Just the whole scroll was full of writing. And it was almost like it was burning like embers or like singed paper. We could see the glow coming off of it. But I looked at the language that I could see very, very clearly and did not understand it for nothing. Now, I know there's over 400 languages or what have you in the world, but I know a few as far as looking at that writing and saying, okay, that's Arabic. I know Hebrew because I study Hebrew and Greek and English, obviously. I can conversationally speak Spanish as well, and I took French in high school. So I know what German looks like, and I know what Russian looks like. I know what Chinese looks like. So I'm looking at this, and I'm going, what is that? That's a language I don't recognize at all, the way it was written. It was, in fact, it looked very ancient. And when I say ancient, I'm talking like BC ancient. That's how it looked, the way it was drawn. Like something you would see on a stone somewhere in the cave. But it was full. And I said, what is that? But I said it inside myself. I didn't speak with my mouth, but the angel heard me, obviously because you talk spirit to spirit in that realm. And so he spoke to me and he said, these are the preparations for the great revival. And I said, really? So I look over at the table. I wasn't allowed to go like join in where they were working, but I was a good 12, 13 feet away so I could see. And the angels were setting up different like plant, they were almost like plants positioning them on the map. And the angel who was escorting me said to me, he said, these are the people who are going to, these represent the people who are going to be the front runners in the great revival. And he said, I saw that the map was divided in about, I want to say five. Now, I didn't count them, but I know it was more than four. It was like five segments, but it was drawn out like this, if that makes any sense, in curves, like a crescent. That's how the map was divided, like this, from east to west. The angel told me that 
the great revival coming to this country would start from the East Coast and work its way west. And I said, well, why in that order? And he started quoting the scriptures that talks about as the lightning shines in the east and stones to the west. As the sun rises in the east, sets in the west. That's what he said. He said, so this shall be. I said, okay. He said, just as the nation is preparing for catastrophe, heaven is preparing for the revival. That's what he told me. Now I want you all to understand that the revival has already begun. I hope everyone knows that. It is the reason why our brothers and sisters overseas are being martyred. It's not the devil has been napping all these years and just decided to wake up and start killing people. There's a move going on in the spirit realm. And that move is light penetrating the darkness and is stirring up the demonic activity. Thousands of people are coming to Christ in the Muslim nations. In fact, we just found out statistically or not, yes, statistically, but it's the percentage or ratio per capita. Iran is the, has the fastest growing church. Iran. Underground church. People are coming to Christ in the droves, in Pakistan, in India, in Indonesia, in North Korea, in South Korea, in China, in Singapore, in Taiwan, even in places like Russia, in the Congo, in Nigeria, in Nambia, in Libya, in Syria, in Iraq, in Saudi Arabia, even in Israel. Jesus is showing up supernaturally in people's dreams. They're powerful. I, I post them on my website. Powerful testimonies of people who are part of the Taliban who encountered Yeshua. This is all true. And that's why they're being killed, saints. Not just killed. They're being decapitated. They're being burned alive. They're being raped. They're being dismembered. They're being eaten. Eaten. Yes. They're drinking their blood. They think that that's some form of purification. Eating their hearts and livers. Yes, they're killing the children. We need to pray for these people. We're so, we're so stuck in our warp here in the West. Pray the 
anointing of Stephen upon them or pray that they will escape. That God will hide them under the shadow of his mighty wing. And if it's meant for them to go, then pray that death be not a sting to them. That they will be able to look up into the heavens and see that their redemption draws nigh and stand. Because this is what's happening. This is reality. And we over here, we're asleep. We think because it's not happening to us that it ain't happening. Let me tell you, that's part of the reason why it's coming here. We, modern day Sodom and Gomorrah, or Babylon, pick or choose whichever one you want. Do you not think that judgment is not coming to this nation? You are sorely mistaken. Not when our brothers and sisters are dying for the name of Christ. In North Korea, the Kim Song Jong Bong Hong, whatever his name is. It's illegal to have a Bible in North Korea. He took some people last year and put them in cages and made a spectacle of them and allowed them to be eaten by wild dogs for having a Bible in their house. I ministered to a group of people in Pakistan, a, a young man by Skype who gathered his family members of about 15. And I was giving them, I was doing Bible studies with this family on Skype in Pakistan. They had, a, they had one Bible, one, and they were passing it around. Hungry for the truth. He reached out to me and said, Sister, please, can you teach us the Bible? We set them up on Skype. They're like nine hours ahead of us. He was getting his family members together. They were sitting in a room with no furniture on the floor to hear the word of God. That's what's happening. That is reality. The revival has begun. The revival is here, but this is what the Lord showed me. The Bible tells us that the first will be last and the last shall be first. Though we know it began with the Jewish people, with the disciples and then the 700 who followed Christ and whoever else that went into the world and preached the gospel. We know that it was America that translated the Bible into multiple languages and it was our missionaries that went overseas and took the Bibles and the gospels into the jungles, into the desert, into the Sudan, into the Middle East. It was us. But we've forgotten the God of our salvation now. So it began with us. So now we're the last. We're on the tail end of the revival because God must bring us down. Now us not being the bride, but the church and the nation. Why? Because just as I read that last sentence, in my judgment, I am merciful, says the Lord. Because it is written that he does not delight in seeing that any of his little ones perish. That's not dying. That's not you dropping dead here. Death is inevitable unless you're going to end in the rapture. 
It's not that, it's eternal death. It's eternal separation from God. That's what he doesn't want. The father grieves at the souls that goes to hell. He grieves, that hurts him. You remember the scripture, but Paul says that neither death nor hell, talks about not even hell can separate us from the love of God. You know what that means? That means the people that are burning in hell right now, God's love is still for them. But he can't pull them out because they made their decision. That hurts him. And we sit in the churches and we're afraid of what people might say or think or do to us. We won't talk to the lady in the checkout aisle at Walmart. We won't talk to the bum on the corner or the person begging on the bus stop for change. We won't talk to our coworkers. We won't talk to the people in our neighborhood. No one in our neighborhood knows that we're Christians. Jesus told me a couple years ago when in Revelation chapter 21 when it lists the people who will be outside the kingdom of heaven, number one of those things that are listed is the coward. He told me, he says, the coward represents the person who will not stand for what is right in fear of what a person might do to them, say about them, or think of them. He said, they are the fruitless trees, and it is written, any tree that bears no fruit will be axed down and cast into the fire. He told me that two or three years ago, we've become cowards. We don't have to have a degree in theology to tell somebody that Jesus Christ loves them. Do you understand that somebody don't know that? You don't have to be an evangelist to go into the world and preach the good news. No, we're all called to evangelize, every single one of us. We all are. Somebody doesn't know that Jesus Christ loves them. I've encountered that too many times, just going to a grocery store and telling the checkout, like, Jesus Christ loves you. I've had people say, you don't know how much I needed to hear that. Yeah. That's love. That's when God's spirit dwells in you. You're not worried about fear and people. What can mere mortals do to you? If God is for you, who can be against you? A great shaking's coming to this nation, like in Hebrews chapter 12, where he said, in the time will come where he will shake both the heavens and the earth so that only the unshakable things can remain. We're in that shaking now. The world is, and we are here in this country. But understand that it is written in Psalms that in times of famine, his children will have more than enough. That even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for he is with us. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. He also said, if the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want of any good thing. So the bride, those who have sold their lives out to Jesus Christ, we will weather the storm. When Jesus talks about the parable of the house that was built on the rock versus the sand, if you build your house on the rock, when the storm comes and the rain comes and the wind beats against it, it will stand. It will stand. 
I know people divided as the pre, mid, and post trib believers. I've never allowed it to be an issue in our ministry. We have, I have good friends who believe outside of what I believe. I was taught and raised in a household of a pre-tribulation rapture, but that's the least of our concerns right now. The fact of the matter is, even with a pre-tribulation rapture, we still are going to go through right now. This is the prelude to what's coming in the great tribulation. We're gonna go through. So we must be prepared so we cannot sit here and think, oh God's just gonna whisk us away and nothing's gonna, no, 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 no. Mm -mm. Because here's the thing, there's gonna be, a, and there is a great awakening before he takes his bride out of here. And unfortunately with us in, the, in this church era, in this, this country, we're asleep, so he's gotta wake us up so that we can figure out, okay, this is the time. This is the season, we gotta be aware of God's time clock. And that's why the shaking is coming. Because he doesn't wanna, here's the unfortunate thing. If he were to come back today, if the trumpet were to sound the day saints, he would be good, and this is what he told my mother, to get 1% of the church in North America. 1% in a country that claims that 80% is Christian. So you have to understand the shaking must come. That's not good enough for God. 1% is not good enough for him. 1%. How do we prepare? People have asked me, well, what did God give you? Is there a list of food? Is there a list of supplies? And I won't give it out. And here's the reason why. Because what he gave me is for my household of five. I have three teenagers. Have any of you guys had teenagers? Y'all know. They're like termites. <laughs> you know? They eat the refrigerator. They don't even get to the, what's in the refrigerator. They eat the door. They don't open it. They eat the door off of it. Then they eat what's in there too. We have garbage disposals in our house. And they're children. Okay. We have a pretty high monthly grocery bill. And part of that is because we eat a lot of organic stuff. I know I don't look like it, but trust me, I do. I really don't do the burger langs, and we really, we have a garden, we grow our own vegetables. My, we're starting to wean off the gluten and stuff like that, and I don't even take medicine. I, I have a medical background, and I learned that doctors will kill you before they cure you. But we don't take medicine, we have vitamins. Cure a common cold, vitamin C, beta carotene, and zinc, knock it out in 24 hours, fact. Knock a cold out. So. What God gave me for our family is because of the people that live in our household. We don't eat like birds. And not only that, we have a ministry. And he told me we were going to be helping people like in the neighborhood. So I tell people the most important thing, first of all, the most important thing is that you have a relationship with Christ so that you can hear his voice so that he can instruct you on what to do to prepare. If you don't hear his voice and you have a relationship with him, you're not going to know what to do. And here's the thing. If you can go and watch Doomsday Preppers all you want. But if you don't have 
you ain't, if you don't have your doomsday prepar preparation in the spirit realm, it's not going to matter. It's not. Tomorrow's not promised for any of us. In closing, I tell people the most important thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. Because Jesus said this out of 613 commandments. People say, oh, it's the Ten Commandments. Uh-uh. It started with ten. Again, that's that Jewish background in me. Between Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Numbers, it was 613 commandments. That's why Paul said that the law only taught us that we were worthless, basically. We're, it only showed how sinful we are. 613 commandments is what it was given. By the time the Lord wrapped it up with Moses and the Torah. But out of 613, Jesus comes up and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself. Why does he give two? I always say that. Why? Lord, why, why you pick two? Because if you love God with all of who you are, you're not going to do anything to intentionally hurt him. It's just like your relationship with your spouse or your child or whoever is a significant person. I'm not saying significant other like you living together. No, no. I'm just make sure I clear that out. But that person that you love, whoever that person is. And if you're in a relationship or marriage or you're engaged, you're in love with somebody, you move heaven and hell for that person. You go to the moon and back for that person. And if for any reason you were to accidentally do something or say something that hurt that person's feelings, it would devastate you. It would just, you or your heart would ache. You'd be so repentant. Oh, baby, I'm so sorry. Kiss, kiss. You know, let me buy you some roses and flowers, take you out to dinner. Everything, right? Y'all, man, y'all know about that. Y'all come in the house with your hair hanging low with the roses. So you're not in the doghouse. But you make sure in your mind, I will never do that again. If you really love that person, you don't want to hurt them, right? You may accidentally do some things here and there, but then that's marked in your head. I won't do that again. You don't habitually repeat something because that's not really love. You don't really love someone if you're slapping them upside their head every week and say, oh, baby, I'm sorry, I love you. That's not love. Oh, forgive me, I just, you know, oh, I was looking at these, these people on screen. No. Oh, you know, forgive me, I stole $15,000. I won't do it again. No, it don't work like that. That's divorce papers, and I'm just playing. <laughs> but that's the point. We don't repeat things over and over again, and it's the same thing with our relationship with God. The Lord taught me that marriage is so important to God because it's parallel of our relationship with him. So if you love him, and if you are in love with him, then you won't do anything to hurt him. And if, because we're all human, and we make mistakes, and he knows that we are but dust, when we do make those errors, we repent of them, meaning that we don't keep going back around that table again. That's relationship. That's relationship with God. 
with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, and that's what he wants. And that's what he longs for from each and every one of us. And then, once we obtain and maintain that, we can go into the world and love our neighbors as ourselves because now we are seeing people the way he sees them and not the way we see them. All biases and prejudice and stereotypes and lines are removed. All you see is a soul that needs help. Because to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind means that you surrender your will and allow his spirit to fill you because he is love. See, it's not loving him the way you want to love him. It's loving him the way he wants you to love him. And how he wants us to love him is by surrendering and allowing him to fill us, that willing vessel. And when he fills us with his spirit, which is unconditional agape love, and we go out into the world and we become that witness to those who are lost. Being the witness. Jesus said, he told Pontius Pilate, I was born for one purpose, to bear witness to the truth. All who know truth will hear my voice. And Pontius Pilate asked him and said, what? He said, what is truth? But Jesus didn't answer. Why? Because he was looking at it. But what was Jesus' purpose? Besides the fact that he came to die for our sins, he came to bear witness to the truth that God is real. Because no man has seen God and lived. Jesus is the physical manifestation of God's spirit. He came to say God is real. He was living proof that God is alive and that he exists and that he rules and dominates both the light and the darkness. And now that Christ has gone to sit at the right hand of the Father, though he will soon return, guess what? He lives in us, and that means that we now are here to bear witness to the truth. That's what we're here for. We are bearing witness to the truth that God is alive and exists that he is true, that he is forgiving, that he is hope and salvation, that he will deliver you, that even though you go through the trials of life, he will never leave you or forsake you, that even though you go through the fire, he will not consume you, that though you go through the water, you will not drown. That's what we're here for. We're here to bring hope into a hopeless world. We're here to be light in an ever-increasingly dark world. We're here to bear witness to the truth. That is our purpose today, saints. And with this that's coming on the country, do not fret, do not fear. Don't be in despair know that it is our time where we have been the tail now we will be the head and it is our commission to go forth into the darkness and take our light and make sure you got that oil with you that is our purpose the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few and pastor the lord showed me when we were praising the lord and you probably know this, but 
this place, your, your church congregation, will play a key factor in the revival. Many people are going to come here wall to wall. You're not going to have enough seats. You're going to be standing. They're coming. And don't be, be faithful. If you're faithful with a little, God will bless you in abundance. It's not about numbers. The wheat and the tares have to be separated. The sheep have to be separated from the goats. So whoever leaves, let them leave. Let them be pruned. Jesus talks about he pruned, God the Father, he prunes the branches that bear no fruit so that that tree can bear more fruit. And that's what it's about. So he's prepared you for that time. And he's going to continue to prepare you for such. And that's what he told me to tell you. Praise the Lord, saints. Thank you for having me. I pray that this word blessed you. And that it doesn't return void. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. God bless you. I appreciate you. God bless you for coming. Praise the Lord.